Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 247. My name is Brando. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Don Dockin. How are you, sir? Good. Just, uh... It's early here and freezing cold. <laughs> I'm a little husky today because uh, we got a freeze and I had to said, oh, I better bring some wood in. So I was loading wood out in the freezing cold and I'm a little beat up today, but I like it up here. It's a change from Beverly Hills. That's for damn sure. Where is here? Unless it's a secret location, because I know you, you said you have a no, mile long. Uh, Santa, Fe, Santa yeah. Fe, New Mexico. Okay. I live off the old original Route 66, which was the Santa Fe Trail that started in Kansas City and ended downtown in Santa Fe. It's one of the oldest uh, roads that the wagon people used to use. And a lot of people don't know that Santa Fe is the oldest capital in the United States. Mm. See, I, I enjoyed that about you, your, the history and the knowledge. So, I mean, other than the rich history, what prompted... Because you've lived there for a bit. Like, what prompted the move? Because about you know, three and a half years. Okay. Uh, well, I lived my whole life in LA. You know. Right. So, like, what? Moving around. I moved around. You know, I lived in Manhattan Beach. Then I bought a house in Hermosa Beach. Then I gave that to my brother. Then I moved to Redondo Beach. All like a mile apart. I've always liked to live by the beach because of the weather. I don't like the valley. It's too damn hot. Hmm. You know. My friends call me and they, they laugh and they say, what are you doing? I said, I'm lighting a fire in the fireplace. Why? And they go, dude, it's like 108. <laughs> I go, not where I'm at. Because <laughs> the ocean breeze comes in, you know, every day at five o'clock. That just sounds wonderful and beautiful. Whenever, you know, I'm in a, I've never been to New Mexico, but something rural like a Utah or Colorado and you can see these houses you like who lives there? It's like a shining house, but somebody lives there, and there's some there's, there is a fantasy about that. I'm a New Yorker. Um, I don't. I'm over uh, the hustle and bustle. I'm younger than you, but I'm over it already. So I mean, if yeah. my wife said to me one day, "Let's move to a remote location," I wouldn't. I don't know. I think about it, but it's been. That's it, what happened. You know, it's exactly what happened. I, you know, I lived in Benedict Canyon, and uh, it was like literally like. 10 minutes from the rainbow. I lived right off Sunset Boulevard. When I moved out of the beach, I went up to Beverly Hills. I wanted more land. You know, I live on the same street as Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and all those guys. Rod Stewart, we all kind of live in this canyon because hmm. you're in L.A. But as soon as you got off the bumper to bumper traffic and sunset and just start going up in the mountains, it got a little more mellow. But, you know, I don't do drugs and I don't party anymore. I'm too old and uh, my kids are grown and uh, they're still in the South Bay. They'll never move. <laughs> they're coming up here for Thanksgiving. So that'll be fun. I haven't seen him in a long time. My son's a pilot. So man, he is really seeing the world. He flies those big giant uh, uh, air 320 bus, Airbus. That's the biggest plane they make. Does that make you nervous? 
uh, when he first got no. his No, he's too smart. Okay. He knows what he's doing. Well, because this kind of leads into a question. Your kids are older. I just had my first kid. He's just turned six months. Awesome. And uh, my wife actually asked, did you want him to be a part of the interview right now? Because I've done that before. But now he's in a really chatty phase. I'm just blah, 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 blah. And that wouldn't have been good for the interview this time around. Really? At six months even? Yeah. He hasn't said a word, but he's just, no, no. He sounds like a gremlin. He really just sounds like, you know, like the gremlins, like uh, Gizmo. That's how he talks at this Yeah. Point. <laughs> my son, when he was little, you know, I'd have barbecues and have people over the house on Sundays. It was kind of a religious thing for me. I would ride my harley with a bunch of guys on sundays and then we would just ride down the coast right next to the ocean and we'd come back and we'd barbecue and then my sons i'd bring him over his mom bring him over and everybody knew tyler and then and his first words that he kept saying over and over again was but why mm. <laughs> like it's time to go to bed kind of time to go to bed but why? Oh wow! Uh, don't don't stick that uh, eraser in your mouth. But why? <laughs> you know, don't grab the dog by the tail. He's going to bite you. But why? So he was. He's, your son's going to be going through that inquisitive stage very quickly. Oh, I'm sure. But that leads me because I asked this. Um, I've been asking this since I became a dad, and I just asked it to John Five. You know, I'm going to try to raise him on rock and roll and radio and have him be a little mini me. But when your kids start just when it got a little older other than the past the but why but when they saw wow this is more than just my dad when do you know like it hit them that this is my dad's don dockin my dad's my dad's a rock star did that ever happen uh when they were younger or was it always yeah. dad okay when he, when he got into uh grammar school you know there were teachers that were like 30 you know <laughs> right sure and they'd say tyler dockin or they say Dokin. He always correct them like I used to do. He goes, "No, it's Dokin, not Dokin." And they and then a lot of teachers would say, "You know, one of my favorite bands is called Dokin," and he'd say, "Oh, that's my dad." Wow, that's so funny. <laughs> so uh, that was the they'd go, "That's your dad," and they go, oh, "Yeah, that's my dad," and they, you know, thought that was cool. <laughs> well, I I guess I love that. Uh, and to flash forward a lot because. I, I can't imagine because people well, this was like a cliche question could you imagine yourself at, at 70 you know making music still but I'm imagining you didn't I, I can't imagine you thought that but was that always the hope to be like once you found music once you found you know your passion to just do this until for the rest of your life that you you foresaw this to a degree maybe not to the success that you've had but you're like I'm going to I'm going to make music for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, and I went to Germany in 79 and did a club tour. God, I was like 22 or something like that or three. And then went back to Europe, <laughs> did another little club tour. We call it the Beatles tour because people that don't are not into music might not know that this, the, the Beatles started in Hamburg. Hmm. They they talk about the uh, Cavern Club, but the Beatles went to Germany and they would play five sets a night and they play cover songs and blues and, you know, and a couple originals. And that's kind of how the Beatles started was in Germany. So I went and played the same clubs they played, which was really a rush for me. There's one club called the Top Ten. It's still on the Reaper Bond, they call it. It's where all the hookers hang out. <laughs> 
and they had signed the wall downstairs in the bathroom and then they finally put plastic uh, plexiglass over because people were defacing it of that sacrilege so i wanted to get to the bathroom and see paul mccartney and ringo and i wanted to see all that on the wall and they covered it up so mm. for me it's like oh my god we're playing the same stage the beatles played on that was cool have you Cameron heard Club. have you heard the new song the last uh, final beatles song no, I heard they uh, AI'd John Lennon's vocals. It's. I think they might have tweaked it because it's supposed to be like it's everyone's parts from different eras of their life. So I don't know if it's it's completely AI John's vocals. To be honest with you, yeah, I don't know. I read the article, but I go, well, how did they get him on the song? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they took pieces of him singing and stitched it together. I mean, because when AI with AI now and this thing called Melodyne, even if it hits the wrong note, you can just move it up one note. Mm. So melody, you can make the melody out of his voice. So how do you feel about that? Just on the graph. Amazing. I think it's great. I mean, John's gone and George is gone, and uh, you know, George was the only one of the Beatles I ever met. Okay. And actually spent an, an afternoon with him, which was amazing. I, I just happened to have two acoustic guitars in my trunk. And I was on a mountain in Malibu. They were having a party with all these eccentric people, like this little old lady. And she was the curator of the Getty Museum. And the guy I was there was a Rockefeller, the one in the wheelchair that kind of blew his brains out doing coke and had a stroke. And he was there. So a lot of eclectic people and my friend Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong was there. And it's one of my favorite pictures because I hadn't shaved all summer and Tommy had a beard and George had a beard and I had a beard. So I had this picture of Tommy Chong, George Harrison and me. And we're just kind of standing there and smiling, you know, we all got beards. Uh-huh. It was kind of a funny photo. And and then uh, somebody throwing the party, uh, live right on the cliffs looking at the ocean it's just beautiful we actually filmed the last video walk away there and you can see it from the helicopter you see us in this big like weird spiritual dome somebody had built and that's a, a fond memory and then you know i understood what my fans go through you know sometimes you meet fans and they're all goo gaga you know and they're like, uh, 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 they want to talk. I'm like, spit it out. Uh-huh. It's cold out here. You want me to sign your autograph? You know, and they'll say, well, yeah, I got all your records. I'm like, you want me to sign 10 of them? <laughs> uh, it's 30 degrees. <laughs> and I remember Ronnie James Dio did that. Um, he, I mean, Ronnie would just stand out there and sign everything for hours until his handler would come and go, Ronnie, you got to get on the bus. Uh-huh. We got to go. So... Uh, it was story. interesting to meet those fans and you know I could only be out there so long until my security guard or my bodyguard would come out and say Don you gotta get on the bus man well, as, a, know, as a fan I mean I understand that I like taking pictures I'm not a huge I, when I was younger autograph person but you gotta respect their time you know you guys are, are busy but I understand the opposite end of like you're in awe of somebody you're meeting and th- this is a nice tie in because I actually I named my son Harrison. We named our son Harrison uh. after George, so to tie that in. And since you guys were uh, hanging out with Tommy Chung, uh, uh, Chung, I, I, fig- I, I want to sprinkle in some fan questions. Speaking of 
of fans while I got you here? Because I know you guys. That's interesting that you named your son up Harrison, and I named my son Tyler because the night he was born, I was hanging out with Steven Tyler on the permanent vacation tour, got the phone call back in the days before cell phones, mm-hmm. you know, and then walkie-talkie, and they said, uh, you, know, you just had a baby. And I went, okay, so I'm talking to his mom, Sue, and she wanted to name him John or Abraham. And I said, oh, no, no biblical names, come on. So I kind of looked at Stephen, and I said, how about Tyler? <laughs> And Steven said, well, if I had a boy, I was going to name him Tyler. And I said, well, I'm beating you to the punch. <laughs> and I actually said to Steven, you know, and if anything ever happens to me, you're going to be his surrogate godfather. <laughs> That's why people say, why did you name him Tyler? I said, because I was sitting in the room with Steven Tyler, just shooting the shit after the show. And uh, I named him Tyler. Oh, I, I love that. We did toy with, I mean, if you haven't been able to notice some of the paraphernalia behind me, the, the Guns N' Roses theme, of course, Appetite for Distortion. We did toy with the name Axel, but I did not want to be on brand like that. I can't be the dude with a GNR-themed podcast and naming his kid after, after you know, Guns N' Roses. I couldn't do that. But that lends it, you know, uh, I'm getting a lot of questions from fans because you've met so many different people. Have you ever met Axl Rose? Uh, uh, what are your... Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew Axl back in the day when, before they made it. They were playing the Troubadour and, you know, the Strip. Everybody just spent so many documentaries about it. Mm-hmm. Playing the Whiskey and the Troubadour. And uh, actually, it was funny because I had a roommate back then. His name was Alan Niven. Oh, yeah. And I went, you know, I went with Alan to the Troubadour to see Guns N' Roses. And he said, I'm thinking about signing. I'm going to manage this band. And and that's kind of how I met those guys, you know. And then I remember uh, after the show, they all lived in a condo upstreet from the whiskey. And we went over there and I was shocked. I mean, they had a plate glass window and a door, but everybody just broke through the plate glass window. And there was glass all over the floor and nobody had cleaned it up hundreds of cans of Jack Daniels bottles and beer and it it looked like Animal House. <laughs> those guys, those them, they admitted it, they've talked about it. Those guys were pretty pretty wild and wooly. And I remember going there thinking, Holy shit And my biggest memory was I said, uh I'm like, I see Slash, I see Axel, I see Red. Where's Izzy? <laughs> And Izzy actually lived in the walk-in closet of their condo. Okay. And to God, he lived in the, and he had a lock on the inside. <laughs> so he'd just go off to this closet he made into a little bedroom, <laughs> and he'd just lock himself in because he wasn't really a party animal. And that's, I remember, where's Izzy? Oh, he's in the closet. I said, what do you mean he's in the closet? Well, that's his bedroom. <laughs> I, I love the phrase, where's Izzy, predated him leaving the band. And Alan Niven, uh, I consider him a friend. He's been on the show a few times and I actually met him when I went out to Arizona. I got to meet him and his wife. And because you may laugh. Uh, Ganella. I, what's that? Yeah, his first name, wife's name was Ganella. Oh, yeah, Ganella. No, no, this is a, a different, this is a different one. This is a, 
A different, oh, Heather. Yes, he- Heather. Heather. Yeah, and I had the privilege because I was not used to the terrain in Arizona, and I have a very sensitive stomach. I got carsick of throwing up in front of them when I got to the restaurant. So that was my awesome. first. That was my first impression uh, to Alan Niven. But I guess with stories like that, he's used to people throwing up in front of him, but usually from drugs and you know, but not not from just being carsick like a wimp like me. Did you go to Did you go to his restaurant? Because he had a restaurant in Prescott. No, it was like some sort of a wine and bar. Like it sold wine and then half of it was a restaurant. I, I forget the name of it. Uh, I, I have a picture somewhere uh, of yeah, it. Yeah, he had a club there. I mean, he had a, a restaurant there for several years. And I even told him I used to be a cook before I got doing music. And I tell him my, my uncle was kind of a famous chef. He wrote a lot of books. And, and I said, Alan, I hope, you know, it, it succeeds. But I'm telling you, running a restaurant is not easy. <laughs> Because you have to know how much to buy, you know, the meat goes by or the lobsters or the freezer breaks. I go, the overhead's off the charts, dude. But he had a restaurant, had pool tables. And and then the funny thing was he had beer, but then he also had like Louis the 13th at $2,000 a bottle and, and high-end wines. And like I said, when Alan came to America, you know, with Ganell, his first wife, they lived at my house. And uh, we were roommates, so that's kind of my connection with Great White. Hmm. Uh, he was in a record company, and I heard this band, Great White, because the drummer, Gary Holland, had done a tour with me in Germany in 80. And then he said, oh, I'm in this new band. Can you please come check them out? And, and they were called Dante Fox. And the first thing I said was, what the hell's a Dante Fox? <laughs> what is that? That's not a good name for a band. And Jack Russell was, had a boat, and he was into going out and shark fishing all the time. And that's kind of how they changed their name to Great White. Okay. So the legend goes. Oh, I, I, I love that. And sp- I was there. You were there. And, and, and staying on topic with, uh, with Alan Niven, I enjoy talking to him, but he's certainly he's very opinionated, one of the reasons why I love him. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's so very stressful of the fact that uh, Izzy Stradlin – should be back in Guns N' Roses and this new incarnation he has not the most favorable opinion of. You're somebody who's dealt with lineup changes and people clamoring for certain members, but you just keep trekking on. Now, do you have any opinions on, on the Guns N' Roses reunion? Because for someone like me, I never got to see Axel and Slash on stage together. So it's been a pleasure. I mean, it would be nice to have Izzy and Steven there as well. But, you know, times are different. I'm just curious uh, if you have a thought about that. It's sad, but I've been lucky because we got so famous. You know, George would quit. He'd go come back in the band. Then George would quit, and he'd come back in the band. Then there was all the bad press about George and I hating each other, and we did. You know, we never got along from the day he joined the band. You know, um, when George and Mick joined Dokken, I just hired him to come to Germany and play the rhythm tracks because I had a record deal, and it was just me. And I'm like, well, I need a drummer, I need a ba- guitar player, I need a bass player. So I called them in L.A. and their whole, the boys, they were called, kind of fell apart. And they were going a different direction. They were going like more New Wave, because New Wave had a run for about two years in L.A. Hmm. And I said, I'm not into New Wave, man. I'm into hard rock. I'm into Scorpions. I'm into Van Halen. I'm into Judas Priest, Saxon, Y&T. And those bands were popular in Europe. So, you know, I did the album in Germany with Michael Wagner, who also lived at my house. John Kladner, famous A&R man, said, 
everybody that got famous, Don, slept on your couch. You should have kept that couch. It was the magic couch. <laughs> it was like a purple velvet giant couch that everybody lived on when they first came to America. <laughs> and I crashed at my place. And yeah, Alan's English, you know, and he went to an English boarding school, as you know, and he and he's opinionated. And that's the way he is, you know. I mean, I just talked to him last week. Hmm. He was trying to get one of his bands. He just produced Letch and Gray on my last show of this U.S. tour. We have six shows to go. I leave in five days. And I'm trying to get his band Letch and Gray as an opening slot on the show. So, uh, yeah, he's still in Prescott. And we chat. And, you know, sometimes I have to call him. Because we're making a movie about Dawkin right now, mm -hmm. which is pretty weird. Netflix, same people that did The Dirt, Motley Crue, they're doing one on Dawkin, a documentary. And they're also, there's another company making a movie about, loosely based on Dawkin, where these fans follow us around the country and they want to meet us, kind of a Bill and Ted thing. Oh, cool. So sometimes uh, I have to call Alan to rattle my memory, my bad memory, and go, mm. What was it? What, what was it in like? What did we do in '78 or '79 or '80? Where were we? You know, and because uh, we were all living together, and and then he left the record company and took on Great White, and then he got Guns N' Roses, and you know, so I mean, he must have a million stories about Guns N' Roses. All I remember about Izzy was he was the guy that lived in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to remember. And before yeah. I, I lose it because uh, you've been so I love it you're so conversational and that's my style of, of interview just like we've you know chatting we've known each other for a while so I like it yeah. I want to make sure that I mention the new album Heaven Comes Down <laughs> before we wrap up before we wrap up in a few minutes that's been out since October yeah. 27th what's been the most proud moment of making this new record now that it's out now that people can hear it you're playing it live what's the thing you're most proud of the most thing I'm proud of, and it's hard to say because, you know, every band puts out a new record and they go, it's our greatest, it's our best record ever, it's amazing. You know, I don't want to say that. I'd rather have the people that have heard it and on the advanced copies to say thumbs up or thumbs down. And, you know, um, John Levin just played amazing guitar riffs. It took us three years to write that record and I and we actually turned that record in a year ago. Oh wow! Finished. And, I, and so people are like, "Get got a new record?" I go, "Yeah, we finished it a year ago." <laughs> and I don't know why the label held it back, but it took a long time to make the record because what happened to my arm, and that just screwed up everything, you know. And my arm got paralyzed. I couldn't play guitar anymore. So I'm like, "Well, you can see it. Here's my left hand, perfect. Here's my right hand." And it's pretty fucked up and skinny and it's all the muscles are gone. And I had a spinal surgery, very routine, C3, C4. And I woke up and my hand was just hanging. You know, I was like, what did you do to my arm, dude? So it's paralyzed from the shoulder down. So all of a sudden I couldn't play. I couldn't finish any more of the songs. And luckily I had years and years and years of music. I never write 10 songs for a record or 11 songs. I write 20 or 25. And if they don't, not good enough, I just ditch them. So 
John Levin and I, we got together and I dug up all my hard drives and, and we just started going through songs I'd written four years ago, five years ago, seven, eight years ago. And we, I'd say, oh, that's a cool riff. And that's a cool riff. They're just demos. So I give them to John and he would play them better than me. But when I lost my arm, it was a very hard time for us for a couple of years. And luckily, not luckily, but COVID was going on. So we couldn't tour. So I just kept writing, you know, uh, we're writing lyrics. And John would listen to all these pieces of music. He wrote a ton of songs on the record. And uh, so we finally, against all the odds, finished this record. And at the end of the day, when I listened to it, even Kevin Shirley, who was a very famous engineer who lives in Australia, I was sending the tracks to Australia and he had just finished the Iron Maiden album and he would call me, you know, how's this mix? How's that mix? And I'd say, oh, a little more snare, a little more kick. And he says, I got to tell you, man, this record, every song on this record is great. And I said, well, thank you for telling me that you produced all the big bands in the world. And he said, all your songs are good. There's no dogs. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And then we had it mastered by David Donnelly, another famous mastering guy who worked for Geffen when I was on Geffen. And he called me and I gave him the record. He hadn't heard it. And he said, wow, I mean, I heard the first song. It was great. Heard the second song. I thought it was great. Heard the third, fourth, fifth song. It was great. I don't hear any songs in this record, Don. They're not good. And I said, well, that was my hope, you know, to write all the songs, but they had to be different. You don't want to repeat yourself. And that was the hard part, you know, to make every song stand alone. I think this record's a lot different than the past Dawkins records. Uh, it sounds like Dawkins because I'm singing, you know, and John sound plays like George, but it was hard. I didn't want to write lyrics about you left me like it's not love. I just got lucky. That's a, I call it the sarcastic song. You know, you just got lucky. I believed your deadly lies. You're a devil in disguise is basically talking about it. someone's girlfriend just screwing them over. I didn't want to write any lyrics about that. So being up here, you know, on my estate and I'm looking out the windows right now and all I see are mountains hmm. and uh, trees and fountains of this. And people don't know about New Mexico. It's when they say, oh, you live in the desert. No, I live in the high desert. I'm at 8,000 feet. Hmm. I mean, I'm way, way, way up here. The only person behind me is, uh, there's this huge mansion way up on the hill. And who in the hell lives there? <laughs> you know, I mean, it looks like a 10,000 square foot mansion, but nobody's ever there. And they said, oh, that's the heiress to the Levi jeans fortune. Oh, so there she, you go. So she must have a few pennies in her piggy bank. Well, I hope you took advantage uh, of Halloween and you trick-or-treated up there and get something from them. Or is, <laughs> that, is that too far? <laughs> I don't want, probably not here. She, that's her winter ski house. Oh, yeah. We all have those. Yeah, we all have our 10,000 <laughs> ski houses because, you know, it snows up here. And the ski lodge is just right over the next mountain range. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very remote and I live very secluded now. It's a different lifestyle than L.A. where you got a house five feet to the left, house 
five feet to the right. And I just had enough. I just wanted to move. And uh, I don't blame you. Mexico. And I said, I came upon this crazy house, you know, and I'm only the second owner. And when I walked in, I went, holy shit. Look at all the stained glass window. Look at the ceiling. Oh, I've noticed that. It's like you're in a church. In, in, yeah, that's what everybody says. Don lives in a church now. Yeah, the church stained glass and... windows. Yep, and they're, all the windows are stained glass. And it's huge, vaulted chapel-looking architecture. Uh, the guy, I guess, was very eccentric. And he told the builders, I don't want to use any nails. Mm. I don't want any metal. I don't want any screws. And I'm like, well, how in the hell do you build that ceiling? They did it like Mennonite style. You know, they just put wooden dowels oh, and wow. drilled holes like they used to do in the 1800s. Wow. So the guy was eccentric. And when I saw it, I went, well, I could live here. <laughs> There's a ceiling. When you see that ceiling, it's like, look at that thing. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. I love the sound it's given you the entire time. I know you naturally have a nice speaking voice, but I don't know. I like yeah. the acoustics of uh, of this interview. I enjoy it. And, and let me say, because I, I know you, um, I don't want to be rude to the next person, because I mean, I could talk to you uh, all day. Uh, I just wanted to, to thank you for how honest you've been in the media recently uh, regards to mental health, because I talk that, yeah. about that a lot, because uh, I went to therapy for over 10 years, um, clinically depressed, but I'm thankfully in a good place now with my, I, I couldn't have... If I didn't go to therapy, I wouldn't have a wife and kid right now. I don't know if I would be alive. Uh, I lost my dad to depression 10 years ago. So to have people like you uh, out there kind of continuing to get rid of the stigma and talk about it, people who have had fame, success, and money, people think that's a cure-all. It's not. So I, uh, before you go, I just want to Can you still you. see me because I lost you? Oh, oh, I can see you. Yep. Oh, great. Yeah, um, you know, I'm bipolar. I figured that out in therapy or after 10 years. And I had a great doctor, Dr. Dale, and he was a real old guy. And uh, he ran the whole hospital over the county. But my mom had depression. She tried to commit suicide a few times, you know, alcoholic. Then she got better when she got older. And my dad was an alcoholic. And and mostly, like I've told people, I didn't really wasn't raised with my parents. I I lived in an orphanage. They took me to an orphanage and my brother at five. Mm. And we lived in an orphanage for about a year. Then we went to foster home after foster home after foster home after foster home. So I didn't have the quote unquote atypical Ozzy and Harriet upbringing. You know, I just didn't, you know. And uh, I think my mom finally bought me uh, a guitar was made by Sears. It was called a silver tone. It cost a hundred bucks, a little amplifier. And now they're like collector's items. It was a piece of junk, but hmm. that kind of saved me as far as my music. My mom played piano. My dad's a jazz musician. He played piano. He played trombone. He sang. Both my grandparents were pianists and singers. So I ran on both sides of the family, the Dawkins side and the Slaughter side. So I guess it's a genetic thing. You know, I, I just, got into music and uh i remember when i got my uh first record deal i went to my dad's and i said well dad i got a record deal he's like oh that's nice and i said you know they're gonna pay for my record it's like 8500 bucks and and i wanted a sage advice from my father who had been playing jazz his whole life 
And he said, Don, the chances of you making it are one in a million. And I went, oh, gee, thanks. I said, well, I'm going for the one. <laughs> and look at you. Look at you. I mean, 70. I, went one. I mean, you are. I mean, it's an inspirational story because there are a lot of kids in your position that wouldn't have been able to survive out of that and, and certainly hit the heights that you have. Don, again, I could keep going, but I know you have a lot more people who are anxious to talk to you. Thank you so much for got the time. Very lucky. Yeah, I got very lucky yeah. and I'm grateful. And I consider, honestly, I will say, you know, when I did Breaking the Chains, mm-hmm. I thought we'd make the record, you know, play the clubs, sell some records, and I'd go back and get a real job. <laughs> and uh, we did the Blue Oyster Cult tour, our first tour you know, in arenas, which was very shocking for me to see 10,000 people with uh, Blue Oyster Cult and Al Lenova and uh, YNT. We played like 20 minutes. And I look back at that and I thought, okay, we'll do this. And then everybody will just go their own way and that'll be the end of it. Who would have known? Who would have known? We did one more record. I called it Tooth and Nail for a reason. The record company, this is a little trivia for you. They wanted to kick Dawkin and Motley Crue off the label. <laughs> the new president wanted to ditch Motley and us. What a mistake. <laughs> what a mistake. And I'm like, are you guys crazy? But they wanted Motley and us off the label. And Tom Zutat uh, fought for us, who went on to sign Guns N' Roses and Tesla. And he was like 24 years old at the time, A&R guy. And he fought for Motley and he fought for Doc. And, and so the record company finally said, OK, we'll give Doc one more chance. And that's why I named that album Tooth and Nail. I told the band, this is it, boys. We better make a great record. It's all over. And look and at this. 2023, Motley is, you know, touring. They got a movie that revitalized their career, and you got a movie coming out. And you, the last laugh, the last laugh. Uh, Don- yeah, that record, that record company guy's long gone, and he wanted to go all R&B. You know, he wanted the Donna Summers and all that stuff, and he didn't like rock at all, so... Tom Zutat saved our butts, both our bands, and he moved on to Gaffin and he signed Guns N' Roses. And saved them too. Wow, look at that. Oh, if it wasn't for Tom, Guns N' Roses wouldn't have got a deal because they said they were too rowdy, <laughs> which they were. Right. You know, and we weren't much better. I had three guys in my band that were all cocaine addicts, you know. It wasn't looking very promising. So I'm grateful to people like Alan Niven, who introduced me to Tom Zutat and Zutat fought for us. And uh, it was, you know, luck of the draw, I guess you could call it. Well, you know, I've been blessed. That's all I can say. I've been blessed to have a 40 year plus career and we're still touring. And we just played three weeks ago. We had 7,000 people and I was like, damn. And I noticed there was 20 year olds, 24, 35, 55, 45, 65. We have a whole new fan base of people coming to see Doc and when they weren't born yet, you know, and I asked him at the meet and greets, you know, how do you know? I saw you singing all the lyrics to End of the Fire and Breaking the Chains and Alone Again. They said, my parents passed their record collection down to us. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. Well, I, I don't know. Can you see him now? Am I, am I, is my camera still on for you? You see Harrison? 
No, um, I wish I could. I'm introducing one. you to Harrison. I'm gonna have him listen to Dokken, and that's how he's gonna know all this music before his time. Well, he's he's, and he's six months. Yeah, he's six months old. This guy. Yeah, this new Zoom managed to. Oh, there he is. There he is. <laughs> I was like, he is. Yeah, so that's this is Harrison Rex. Uh, you got to make him a, a rock and roll or raise him on uh, on Dokken, on Guns N' Roses. But right now, the only things he, he likes are Blues Clues and uh, oh, it's just nonsensical songs to him. <laughs> well, because they're simple. And like I said, my son drove me crazy saying, why? But why? But why? He's not doing that yet. When he gets to be two, everything you tell him is going to be, but why? Because <laughs> the brain is in full tilt boogie. And they want to know why I have to eat my peas and why do I have to go to bed at seven and why do I have to do this? And Because I and said so. <laughs> because I yeah, said so. Yeah, because I'm dad. <laughs> so that's why everyone says appreciate this time. And I am. So that's why every every day of him just not being able to answer me back and <laughs> just appreciating this time, putting him into, you know, rock and roll onesies. But Anyway, Don, uh, maybe he'll be a little... One of my biggest regrets, I will say, my biggest regret of my career, if I have any regrets, okay. is I didn't have a chance to watch my children grow up. Okay. You know, I go on the tour for a year, year and a half, I'd be in Europe, i come back and they got taller and taller and taller mm. and taller. My kids were growing up like crazy and I'm like, I'm missing it, you know, I was missing it. Well, and I didn't like... I didn't like that at all. I mean, understandable. Well, I hope you have a really happy Thanksgiving with your your family uh, this year. And can't wait, Don. Thank you so much for your time today, and I hope we get to do this again. Thanks, bud, brother. You got take it. care, Harrison. <laughs> Bye. That was a fun interview. An interview where you kind of just let go of the reins and let the guests do what they want. <laughs> I couldn't even really get to your questions, and that's okay. It, you kind of you want to pay attention this is why i don't usually write a, a ton of notes because i would just be reading and, and, and keeping track to where i want to go and, and lose my place in the conversation with don and uh he's somebody that is not afraid to share his opinion to share his feelings and, and to talk because <laughs> i don't like when i'm there i'm prying out of guests the the questions and answers because i want it to be a conversation i want it to be back and forth like two friends hanging out and that's exactly what this was i had to tell him once he popped on zoom to like hey hold on uh we got to start recording because we started having a conversation right away so hopefully he'll be back on again and shout out to uh former co-host still current friend ian scotto many of you may remember that he is a die-hard docking fan uh one of the earlier episodes of appetite for distortion we we spoke about when he went to south dakota to see the original docking reunite uh well, this was just a few years ago and and uh the only reason i didn't in, invite him to co-host this episode was because he just interviewed docking on his podcast battle line podcast and shout out to him for getting that mental health question actually he was out of his interview where don uh, initially spoke about being bipolar and having depression and that's what i bounced off of at the end of this this interview so shout out to Descato. and before we wrap up this episode and wrap up the guns and roses tour 2023 let's do some shotgun news news so as i am Recording this, Guns N' Roses just wrapped up their tour 2023, finished up in Mexico, Heaven and Hell Fest, 
And <laughs> for those of who used to complain about the set list, this is just like what's in there. And and I know some of them have been in there for a little bit, but just I'm talking like the start of the reunion when we had no seven years ago that we thought this reunion was going to fall flat on his face. Some some people thought it would just not last. I mean, we we got bad obsession. We got, you know, keeping Slither in there. I love the Chinese democracy Slither. The acknowledgments still of when they, they broke up. That's still something that needs to be acknowledged. Pretty tied up. Uh, Rumble, which, by the way, congratulations to the late, great Link Ray for getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, inventing the power cord. Uh, Rumble, that's what he goes into. Uh, slash, rather, for Welcome to the Jungle. You got Hard School, Reckless Life absurd perhaps and the general so if you're not aware this was the second time it was the show before uh the the second hollywood bowl show i believe they live debuted the general last time we left we were talking about the leaks of the general and monsters and there has been no acknowledgement by guns and roses about the leaks other than deciding to play it live <laughs> only the general not monsters, and it's typical Guns N' Roses fashion. I mean, they were, right before the show, people were talking about the sound check, how there was a sound check of, of the general, and that's happened before with Hard School and other songs that maybe would have been sound checked but wouldn't be played right away or uh, maybe not even played at all, but this was played that night. So we got the general not once but twice live. I uh, was hoping for monsters live, but not yet, so... I guess that's what we have to look forward to in the immediate is the perhaps LP with the general and monsters on it. Okay. Uh, I gave you my opinions last time on, on the two leaks. I'm going to wait until, you know, get, to solidify my opinions on them. I've only listened to them four times. I stopped because I don't want to become obsessed and fall in love with the leak like it did with some of the Chinese democracy stuff. And it kind of just ruins the the official release. And you're comparing demos and this and that. It's just, I, I've learned. I had to listen out of curiosity. I want to listen a few times to kind of absorb what everybody else is listening to. And I'm done. Okay, so monsters, love it. And the general, you know, I, I heard it live. I think it sounded better live. And I think it's okay because obviously I'm a diehard Guns N' Roses fan. Over 400 episodes of a of a podcast as them as, as a theme, but I hate to say it, I, I think it's my least favorite of the reunion songs. I think it's the most powerful lyrically of the reunion songs, and perhaps maybe of all of Axel's lyrics of the entire GNR discography. Lyrically, the general is as important as any other song. But I think it's because they're so of that Chinese democracy era. Obviously, they've been worked on with Slash and Duff and, 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 the, and the current band. But with certain songs in Chinese democracy, and I'll just, off the top of my head, I'll say like Scraped or Riyadh and the Benduins, that I may not listen to as a one-off. But I, because it's just some, I, I appreciate it more when it's within an album where I'm taking that ride from Chinese democracy to Shacklers to better to, and I'm, I'm, I'm working my way up and it's part of a whole, it's one chapter in the entire book. And that's what perhaps in the general sound like to me, they don't sound like a one-off song. They sound like they belong between stuff. And I think that is affecting my 
enjoyment of it, my listenership of it. I'm like, this is, there's going to be more to this. I need an intro and an outro uh, to this. And that's why I kind of liked how, I guess, if Monsters is going to be that hidden track on the uh, perhaps LP, you know, I, I like listening to them back, you know, uh, next to each other. But Monsters is, uh, I don't understand how that wasn't the first single. <laughs> when you go back and you're like, Absurd was the first reunion single, and how that was so jarring for a lot of people. And monsters. Once the, the the mass public hears it, I think it's it's gonna fall in love with it because it's just like a a hit song. It's like a hit song, and all these uh, reunion songs, maybe with the exception of Hard School, have not had that single feel. Absurd is a one-off specialty song that I I love hearing it live. It's fun. Hard School was a little bit go, going back to the old school rock and roll. So I enjoyed that. Perhaps is is more of an adventure. Same thing with the general. It's an adventure. I feel like they belong on an album. So what's next? I certainly don't know. I have no insider information. But what I believe is everything Slash has said has come to fruition. The little pieces of information that he's given in the interviews over the years has come to fruition. So I think they're going to take a break and they're going to come up with all new material. Uh, either all new or they have what Tom Mayhew and that, that video that kind of went viral. The longtime uh, uh, stage manager, 30 plus years of, of the band talking about that there's stuff from Appetite. I think there's going to be Appetite stuff out there. Now, whether they rooted itself uh, during the Appetite era or they're going for that sound. I don't know if that's been clarified, but I think there's stuff that's been left over from Appetite and they're going to rework those just like they would did with Chinese democracy. So, you know what? I kind of like that. I like that because I don't look at these as Chinese leftovers. They're uh, you know, things that weren't good enough to make the album because I'm t- uh, Monsters is better than most of the stuff on Chinese Democracy. Uh, I mean, for me, not, not better than like There Was a Time or, or Prostitute, but Monsters belonged on there. So I don't know how that could have been left off. Maybe it wasn't finished at the time. But again, this was supposed to be multiple records. And I enjoy that Axel, especially, especially lyrically, when you listen to these new songs, that he's wrapping up that chapter of his life with the bandmates that he felt abandoned him at one point, or vice versa, however they felt, they're wrapping up that part of their life. Now they're going to go back to Appetite, where all the magic happened, and wrap up that part of their life. So I think more new music is going to come. However you define new I guess remains to be seen, but whatever it is, uh, this isn't going to be the end of Guns N' Roses. I do not get that feeling. I, I really hope it's not too long before they tour again. Give it at least a year. Go away for a little bit. Axel, you rest up. Uh, make the desire go there. You know, kind of build up a little bit more. Uh, and, and I want to make sure uh, baby Brownstone, he, he'll be old enough to go. Uh, absolutely, next time Guns N' Roses is... And about and that's the thing I'm looking forward to most is, is that is is taking my baby to see my baby <laughs> my baby's Guns N' Roses that's a weird way of saying it <laughs> but uh, it's it's gonna be interesting because we've always had so much to talk about the the past seven years with the touring and I love talking to you all the fan reviews I wish I could have done more this year but I guess having a baby eats up my time <laughs> I'm actually recording this moment in a brief in a brief uh, time period where my wife is taking my son out for a walk so I can 
have silence while I wrap up this episode. So I got to pick my spots. But thanks to all of you who have been on the podcast, who want to be on the podcast. We'll continue doing that since we're not going to have a tour for a while. Maybe you're like, oh, I had this amazing experience during the User Illusion tour uh, in this city. And I have this amazing story that I've never been able to share. uh, And I would love to share it on the podcast. So that's going to happen. I'm going to have a fan obsession coming up soon, actually. So Loudwire covered it. That's what really piqued my interest. And these are stories that I love that uh, a dad and his young son, they went to one of the shows in uh, Hollywood, Florida. And they initially got VIP tickets for the show. But during it, on a Reddit post, they they showed an updated post that they had the son watching the show from the side of the stage. And he wrote, We flew to Hollywood to see last night's show at the Hard Rock for my son's ninth birthday. And he watched from the stage. Much love to the GNR crew and Team Brazil. So that's a really nice story. So I would love to I'm going to talk to him coming up for a fan obsession. So stories like that. You know, just fun, nice Guns N' Roses fan stories from you. That's what this podcast is about other than interviewing rock stars and you know, me talking about my own fandom and all that fun stuff. So as far as this podcast is concerned, we're not stopping for 2023. We'll, we'll see what's to come. The conversation always continues in between broadcasts on social media, Facebook, X, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok, email, the AFD show at gmail.com. So that's how you can contact me for the, with your stories, with guest suggestions, however you want to do it. And we'll see what the next guest, who, who, who is he going to be? What rock star or what fan? Is it going to be you? So when is the next episode of Appetite for Distortion? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. No! Fuck it! No! Yeah! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>